Father, your mama can't, your daddy can't, your grandma can't, a priest can't, a preacher can't. Only Jesus can mediate, can stand in the gap between a sinful man and the holy God, just Jesus. (laughs) The Bible says that there is no other name given under heaven whereby a man must be saved. Mohammed can't, Buddha can't, Confucius can't. One name, the name of Jesus. And the Bible says that one day, I don't care what folks say today, I've heard people say, my, my knee will never bow, it will. You can count on it. And the Bible said one day that every knee's going to bow. And it, may, it, it lined it up for us. In heaven, on the earth, under the earth, won't be no place in this universe that the name of Jesus ain't proclaimed, that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is, until God gets enough, you're going to name the name of Jesus until the Father is glorified. The sad fact is it's going to be too late for a lot of folks then. Gonna be too late. You can believe a rich man when he lifted up his eyes in torment. If he could have escaped that place, he would have. What he did do is say, Please send somebody, tell everybody else, everybody I love, tell them not to come here. There's only one way not to go there. Your default destination is hell this morning. I know we find that hard to believe. I preached a funeral yesterday. I want you to know that the man that I preached the funeral for, as far as I know, was a good man, was a good daddy, was a public servant in this community. Um, had good, as, as far as I know, he had as good a morals as you could find and, and was as a good a mannered man as you'll ever meet. But not one of them things can deliver him or reconcile. Not one of those things can deliver him from hell and reconcile him to God but Jesus. And I'm here to see this morning you come to church every Sunday. You can put tithes and offering every Sunday. I applaud all them things. You all be all that. You all be a good man, a good woman, a good friend, a good daddy, a good mama, uh, a good citizen. You all to have good morals, good manners. You all come to church every time you get an opportunity. You all to tithe because God's given you everything you have. Um, but the only way you're going to be reconciled to God is bow your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, save me. Because I can't save myself. I used the parable of the publican yesterday. That Pharisee went into the temple and threw back his head and bowed out his chest and said, the Bible said he prayed with himself and said, I, I fast twice a week, pay tithes, pray. I'm glad I'm not like other people. I'm not an adulterer, an extortioner, a liar, a thief. I'm glad I'm not any of those things. I'm glad I ain't even like that publican over there and the Bible said the publican wouldn't even come to the front of the temple but stood at the very back wouldn't lift up his eyes but smote himself on his chest and said God have mercy upon me a sinner Jesus said that man went home justified and I'm here to tell you this morning you'll never be right with God until you bow your heart at the feet of Jesus and say God be merciful to me save me from my sin. You can do that this morning.
Revelation chapter 19, the last time we preached, and I'm just going to finish up, uh, I, I probably will go back through some of the tribulation stuff on a Wednesday night, but there's no reason. I don't believe we're going to be here through the tribulation. There's no reason for me to know a whole bunch about it other than just being intrigued by it. Um, and perhaps to stir up our heart and make us be more um, compassionate towards people that are heading, heading through the tribulation and through that awful place of, of torment afterwards. But we, we did take a kind of a whirlwind tour through Revelation chapter 6, um, from, from Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 18, which is what's known as uh, the Great Tribulation. I don't know exactly when it's going to start. I don't know that it, that, that I, don't, I know that it's seven years. I know that it's seven years to the day because the Bible splits it right down the middle that there's going to be, um, and the prophetic year is 30, a uh, prophetic month is 30 days. There are 12 months in a year, so, and, and, and it, it spells it out. I didn't take you to the verse, but I, I, we could, um, that it's going to last seven years to the day. To the day. You, you can count the days from, from when it begins to when it ends. Um, but I don't know when it's going to begin. It could start the moment that the rapture occurs. There could be a number of years that elapse between the rapture and the beginning of the Great Tribulation. There could be a ramping up. We may already be seeing a ramping up. Um, but but, but in, the, in the Tribulation, there, are, there is a seven-sealed scroll... Um, I know a lot of stuff is symbolic. It's just kind of giving us a, um, a picture of, of what it's going to look like when God begins to execute his judgment on the world. Um, it's a seven-sealed scroll, which represents the title deed to creation that Adam lost in the garden when he sinned against God, that the second Adam now is the only one uh, in heaven or in earth or under the earth, the angel said, who is worthy to take that scroll and to unroll it and to look upon it and to read it. So every time one of those seals is broken, there's another judgment that comes upon the earth. And, and, and most of the judgments in those first six seals are judgments that men are, it, it, is, it is men destroying each other um, through war and through famine and through inflation. And, um, and then it is a persecution against those who are, uh, who are coming to Christ. But when that seventh seal is broken, um, six trumpets begin to sound. And with every one of those trumpets that sound, with, with the exception of the first one, who is an angel still preaching the gospel, to every one of those trumpets sounds, there's a ju another judgment of God that falls upon the world. And, and the, the, those six trumpets are often called the, the, the one-third judgments because one-third of the sea is smitten, one-third of the fresh water is smitten, one-third of the vegetation is smitten, and one-third of mankind dies. Now, they've already lost, um, through the four horsemen of the apocalypse, one-fourth of the population has already died um, through the war and through the famine. And in the trumpet judgments, one-third of the population um, is destroyed, and and in the last of those trumpets, a demonic fury. I don't. I'm not going to tell you that I understand what all that means, but I believe that Satan's going to be just given liberty. I think it probably comes right at the midpoint of the tribulation, um, Revelation chapter. I think it's ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, somewhere around on there. You get this 
um, this vision that Satan is no longer has access to heaven, but that he is thrown out. There's a war that is taking place in heaven, and that war comes to earth, and Satan is unleashed without restraint in all of his fury upon this planet. Um, demonic hordes just invade and attack. When, when that seventh trumpet sounds... Um, there is seven bowls of God's wrath that are poured out without measure, which means there is no mercy given in those seven bowl judgments. And that is the great tribulation in a nutshell. It's like a telescope being pulled out. Um, seven seals introduce seven trumpets, and seven trumpets introduce seven bowls of wrath poured out without measure. Um, Creation goes into a literal convulsion, and a great earthquake happens, and Babylon falls. And what is Babylon? And without going into a great deal of detail, um, Babylon is every system of this world that is anti-God. It is every false religion. It is every idolatry. It is every corrupt government system. I believe Marxism, communism, and all that are included in it. It's everything that opposes God. The Bible said that in one hour, it all came to nothing. 10,000 years, um, Satan built, took to build it, probably less than that. And in one hour, the judgment of God saw it all fall. Uh, Revelation chapter 19 um, is a shifting in the whole story um, of Revelation. It is, it is the, the climactic, it is the consummation of everything. And, um, and I'm going to call it a consummation celebration. The word consummation means... Um, the conclusion, um, I, the, I looked it up this morning in, in, in Webster's, and I think my favorite word is the grand finale. Um, it's the grand finale. It's when they light all the fireworks. It's when everything comes to um, its fruition. It is the end of the thing. And so Revelation chapter 19 is, is the consummation celebration. It is when God's complete and entire plan for humanity comes to its end, um, and then eternity begins. It's when time comes to an end, and eternity begins. So the, the three things, and, and this is just kind of a summary of the whole chapter, and then we're going to dig into those first ten verses. Um, it's the climax of the Savior's revelation. The whole, book of, the whole book of Revelation is about Jesus. It says that from the first verse, the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave to John, his apostle. It is, it is not the Jesus who was and it is not the Jesus even who is except for those first three chapters. It is the Jesus who will be. Um, it is the Jesus of uh, the tribulation. It is the Jesus of eternity. It's, it, it is, although we saw him as the lamb slain at the end of this book, he is the lion that roars. Um, he was the one who gave his life for the sins of the world and he is the one who will ultimately be the just judge of all the world. So it's, the whole book is about Jesus. It is the climax. It is the, it is the complete revelation of who Jesus is. Not only that, um, it, is, it, is, it is the climax of the saints' redemption. Um, Jesus has saved us. He has justified us before the Father. He is sanctifying us in our spirit and our soul, our mind. Uh, and he will glorify us in the Father's presence in new and resurrected bodies. And, so, and this is the climax of that. This is when it all comes. This is when our redemption is completed. It is fulfilled. And it is when we enter into that um, new heaven and new earth kingdom that he's prepared for us. It is also the climax of Satan and the sinner's rebellion. It is when 
the wicked and unbelieving are destroyed. It is when Satan is bound and no longer exerts his influence upon this earth. So it is the end of that rebellion that's been going on for who knows how long. Um, we don't know when he got expelled from his position in heaven. Um, we just know that when man was on earth, he was on earth. And he has, he has executed his deception and, um, and his persecution of God's people um, from that time until now. But on that day, um, his rebellion and the sinner's rebellion um, will come to an end. So it begins, Revelation chapter 19 begins with and after these things, which I believe signifies the end of the tribulation and the second coming of Christ. Um, the first ten verses are, are heaven's reaction. It literally is, um, heaven is looking down upon what just happened on the earth with the fall of Babylon, the, the destruction of the world by the wrath of God. Um, it is heaven's response to what just happened on earth as the wrath of God was poured out on the great tribulation. And the last 11 verses are, um, are in regard to Christ's return to completely purge the world of its wickedness um, and to bind Satan and, um, and cast him into the pit. The church is at his side in those last 11 verses, but we're not going to that's, that's next Sunday's message, Lord willing, um, because the second coming of Christ deserves a sermon all by itself. But this morning we're going to look at that consummation celebration. Read with me in Revelation chapter 19, verse 1. Um, we're going to go down through verse number 10. And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah! And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah! for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he said unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See... Thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So this is, this is the consummation of all things. And more particularly, these first ten verses are the celebration of that climax. It is all of heaven giving glory to God for what has just occurred and for what is about to occur when Jesus brings an end to all things and the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And the first thing that we see is heaven's choir. After the fall of Babylon, after a world against God has been, um, has been 
uh, has experienced the just wrath of, of a thrice holy God uh, after all of the false religions and all of the false idolatries and all of the false governments of this world has fallen, um, a, a, an eruption of praise occurs in heaven. Um, heaven's choir begins to sing. Now the members of this choir are all the inhabitants of heaven. I don't think anybody's left out. Um, if anybody in heaven is left out, it would be the angels. I thought, I've always found this to be interesting, even though we always talk about angels singing. There's no record in the Bible um, that angels sang except before the creation when all of the morning stars sang together. Um, but, but every other time, angels are shouting their declarations of God's power and God's glory. Um, but all of the inhabitants of heaven are singing in this choir. And, and all of heaven's inhabitants at this particular time are those saints that were raptured before the tribulation. I believe it's those saints who died during the tribulation. I believe it's, uh, it's clear to me that the text says that the 24 elders that are around the throne, I don't know who they are, except that they're redeemed men. The Bible tells us that they were redeemed by the blood of Jesus from every tribe and nation. Special men, uh, anointed and appointed by God to be around his throne and co-rulers with him. Um, but those, those 24 elders were part of this choir. They were part of this song. Those four beasts whose job has been from eternity past to eternity future to guard the throne of God and to lead the choir in singing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Everybody in heaven fell down at his feet and began to worship him. All the inhabitants of heaven were members of this choir. And I want to tell you something. I, I try to remember this when I'm reading the book of Revelation because there are several times that John got glimpses into heaven and he saw things in heaven. In chapter 7, he saw a great multitude. And the angel said, do you know who these are? And John said, I don't know who they are, but you know who they are. And the angel identified them. These are they that have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. And listen, that's me and you. That, that, that's what I have to remember. John's looking into the future. He's not looking at heaven as it was. He's looking at heaven as it would be. And so when, when John saw that multitude around the throne, I'm there. You're there. And when you talk about this heavenly choir singing, if the church has been raptured out of here, I want you to understand this. If you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're singing in that choir. John heard your voice in that multitude. He said it sounded like the voice of many waters. He, he said it sounded, it sounded like a mighty thunderings. That was our voice. That was your voice. That was my voice. If you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, John the Apostle has already heard you sing heaven's song. He heard you join in that, in that choir. Um, you passed the audition. <laughs> My friend Pedro the other day, I mean, I, it was funny to me. He was a bait and tackle salesman and a car mechanic. He changed tires for a living. And um, he loves Jesus. He'll cry just talking about Jesus. But I, I laughed at him when he said, I can't sing a lick. I said, I can't neither, but everybody can hear me. I sing loud. I, I hope one day the Lord helps me sing good, but I'm going to sing loud until I can sing good. And then I'm going to sing louder when I can sing good. But he heard our voices in that choir. We passed the audition. <laughs> Nobody's excluded from that choir. Now, we don't have auditions here to sing. If you want to sing, sing. We let Matt sing. That tells you something. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love Matt. Me and Matt sing much the same. You can hear us. Even when we're messing up, you can hear us. Uh, he's, he's coming back in now. I don't pick on him no more. Listen, I, I, I get that the Lord knows past, present, and future. He already knows all the voices that's in that choir. But I don't. You don't. 
But I want you to know all you got to do to pass the audition to be there today is trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Put yourself at his feet and say, I can't get there without you. And you're the only one that can take me there. Because you are the way, the truth, and the life. And you said that no man will ever come into the Father's presence unless he comes by you. And so I want to tell you, if you want to be a part of that choir, you've got to trust Jesus. Your good works ain't going to get there. You cleaning up your act, that's, that, good works is good. Cleaning up your act, wonderful. But don't listen, don't, don't make the first thing that you do. Don't worry about cleaning up. Not until you receive Christ because you can't do it. You can't be who you need to be without the indwelling Christ living in you to cleanse you and to convert you, mind, body, soul, spirit, all of you. If you'll praise and worship Jesus now, you'll be in that Revelation chapter 19 choir then. Now the title of the song, I appreciate it. Kelly didn't know what I was preaching this morning, I don't think. Did you? You didn't? But she sang the song this morning that heaven sings. I don't have much. I don't have anything fit for a king. But what I do have is a hallelujah. That's what heaven gave to him. The title of the song was hallelujah. We say it hallelujah, it's the same word. Hallelujah. It's that, that word is only used four times in the whole New Testament. And all four times is in Revelation chapter 19. All four times it is at the celebration of the consummation of all things. And everybody in heaven is singing that song. It comes from two Hebrew words. The first is H-A-L-A-L. I think it's halal. It's a Hebrew word. And what it means is to make a show. To boast. To rave. To celebrate. It is said to be the highest praise that a man can give. It is a praise that involves every part of a man. Heart, soul, mind, strength. It is literally unrestrained, unreserved, something Baptists don't know a whole lot about, but it is a complete release uh, of everything that you are in, in, in an exclamation of praise. The last part of it is simply Yah, Y-A, and that is the direction of that praise. And it is not, it is not just to say the name of God, it is to say the name of God with, um, with exuberance and with enthusiasm that you rave, that you celebrate, that you boast, that you praise, that you make a show of the God that you serve and all that he's done for you. Now, I sit in my desk studying for this, and I, I'm just trying to get this picture in my mind. Uh, I, when I read Revelation, I like to try to envision it. I like to just close my mind and say, God, show me what it looks like. And um, as I began to say the word myself, I thought about a song that I've heard others sing. And I, you're not going to see me do this often because I don't trust technology enough to do it often. But this song came to my mind. I'm not a big orchestra guy or a big opera sounding guy. 
But this is a moving song from Handel's Messiah. I want you to just listen to it. Just crank it up. Can you crank it up? Hey, you can join them if you want to.
about you? Try it. Try it. Hallelujah. Amen. You better practice. You better practice. Y'all spot the one Pentecostal? That's First Baptist Church in Texas, Dallas, I think. But I saw you saw the one Pentecostal. Listen, I I think when that 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 song when it's sung in heaven is going to be sung without any reservation whatsoever. Without it's going to be complete liberty, and um, I think all of us going to get a little Pentecostal that day. Hallelujah, the highest form of praise that we can give to our King. I think we're going to sing it. I think we're going to shout it. I think we're going to shine it. I think we're going to dance it. I think we're going to leap. I think it's going to be all of that and more when we realize that it's all coming to pass, that not one thing that he promised is going to fail. The message of the song, I want to be very clear that they not only praise God for his attributes, they specifically praised him for his salvation, for his glory, for his honor, and for his power. He is always worthy of praise for his attributes. If you, can't, if you take a look at your life and you can't find anything in your life, and, and this would be hard for me to believe, but I know sometimes we, have, we wallow in self-pity, we get down, all we can see is what's wrong. If you find yourself in that place, I want to just remind you this morning that you can always praise God for who he is. And sometimes I think the Lord will load us down with all of these burdens and, and, and struggles and trials on, in this earth because we get too fixated on the things that He has given to us and not on Him. And so sometimes you strip away the blessing so that all you have left is the blessor. That all the gifts are, are removed so that you can focus your attention back on the giver. And, and I could take you through a bunch of the Psalms and show you where God did exactly that to people. And, but even in that moment, when, when you can't find his blessings and benefits, you can look to him and say, God, you're good. You're holy. You're loving. You're faithful. You're merciful. You're powerful. You're wise. You're eternal. Um, all of your promises are true. You can praise the attributes of God when you can't praise anything else. The second thing, though, and the primary thing that I think the message of that song is pointing to is what just happened on earth. And that God has executed judgment upon the earth and that Jesus is fixing to come back on that white horse and, and put an end to sin once and for all. Um, specifically what they ascribed praise to um, in, that, in this passage of Scripture is that God had been true and righteous in his judgments. They praised God's just judgment. They understood that God had done what had to be done, what needed to be done, what should have been done. And they praised God for his judgments. They said specifically um, that wickedness has been judged, that unbelief has been judged, and that all of those who have ever suffered for being righteous have been avenged. The Bible says that this, that we ought not take vengeance on the people who have wronged us because vengeance belongs to God. Um, that all that have done wicked, that all that have done wrong, that all that have been unjust, um, who have not placed that under the blood of Jesus, who have not been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, will one day have to pay for what they've done. And so all of heaven, the message of this song is that, that heaven is praising God for who he is and for what he has done in judging the wicked, the unbelieving, and in avenging the righteous. So as horrible as the tribulation is going to be, 
the saints of every age standing in the presence of God in heaven are going to stand up and shout, Hallelujah, Amen. Now that ain't, that ain't because we happy. God's not happy that wicked men are going to hell, but, but wicked men have chosen that. Unbelieving men have chosen that. They have said no to God all of their life. And God has given to them what they deserve. And can I tell you that a life without God is never going to be a good life. Because if God is the source of all good, and then, then, then the absence of God is the source of all bad. And so, and, and so hell, wickedness, judgment, is simply God giving men what they've asked for. Which is justice. Give me what I deserve. I'm here to tell you I don't want what I deserve. I'm not going to get what I deserve. I'm going to receive what I don't deserve. Which is the mercy of God and forgiving me of my sins. And the grace of God and giving me a home with Him forever in heaven. Not because of what I've done. But because of what He did on my behalf. The, the next part of that is heaven's, you, you can call it heaven's bride, you can call it heaven's marriage. Um, there are three phases to a Jewish wedding, and it'll help you to understand what's going on here if you understand this. And you can see it even being played out in, in Jesus' life with Mary and Joseph to some degree. Other places in the Bible where we're, we get glimpses into Jewish marriage, there's, th- there's three phases of it, and, and, we, and ours looks a little bit like it. Um, there is a betrothal. Um, there is a, a presentation. And then there is a, a feast, a marriage feast, which is a celebration. And so here's what that looks like in, in, a spiritual, in spiritual terminology. The betrothal is when we get saved. The betrothal is when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. The presentation is when we are taken into His presence. That's the rapture. The, the, the marriage feast, which is the reception and celebration, happens at the end of the tribulation. Just prior to the second coming and in preparation for eternity. The Lamb's wife is the church. The bride of Christ is the church. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is in Revelation chapter 19. The Bible said that we have made ourselves ready. How do we make ourselves ready? You read the rest of the book and you'll find out um, that we made ourselves ready when we placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and he washed us from our sins in his own blood. Um, we, We made ourselves ready because we placed our faith in Christ and all of the righteousness that we have comes from him. It's imputed to us. Um, We have been justified by his blood and we are being sanctified by his indwelling presence and by his word. So all of the righteousness that we have has come from Christ. We have made ourselves ready by trusting in him. All the inhabitants of heaven from the angelic host to the Old Testament saints are going to gasp at the beauty of the bride. My favorite thing to do at a wedding. Now, and I think we, I understand this and I appreciate this. I don't nobody take slight to this, please. Um, you know, the, the, the old tradition was that the, the groom did not see the wife at all. I get the picture taken and all that, and believe me, when I'm hungry, I'm glad you done took the pictures. But, but we miss out on something when we do that, that everybody don't get to see. And I know that you have first looks, which is okay, that's fine. But I'm telling you, I will never forget the day 
I didn't see Cindy in her dress, not one time before our marriage day. When they opened the back doors of that church, she took my breath away. She still does. I, this is what I thought. Man, that can't be mine. I mean, I'm 130 pounds with a, with a permed mullet. <laughs> and a scraggly old mustache. And I thought, hey, no way, that's mine. <laughs> but she was. And it was, my favorite part of the wedding is when that groom gets that first look. I remember you just a few weeks ago. Listen to me. All of heaven is going to gasp at the beauty of the bride. The Bible said the angels don't even understand what God's doing right now but they're going to gasp at the beauty of the bride. Justified by his blood. Washed by his word. Made holy by his presence within. And all of heaven is going to see the Lamb's wife, which is the church, and gasp at her beauty. The marriage supper is our version of the wedding reception when everybody joins in the celebration. This is when, when, the, when the elders, when the beasts, when the angels, when the Old Testament saints, when, the, when everybody comes together and celebrates what Christ has done in and through his church. Now, I, let me walk through this real fast, and I, I can give you some, some notes on it if you want to. This is fascinating to me. When you read the Bible from a Jewish perspective, you see things differently. We don't understand how a Jewish wedding works, so we didn't understand a lot of this when we read the scriptures. But here's what happens in a Jewish wedding. A man comes to the father of his bride and pres- makes an offer for her, literally a dowry. This is what I'm willing to give you for your daughter. And as soon as that, that dowry, that bride price is agreed upon, there is a, a glass of wine that is poured um, by the prospective groom. He slides it across the table to the bride, and the bride drinks. And that is a symbol that we, I have. My dad has approved the, the price has been accepted, and the drinking of that cup represents a sealing. It's the betrothal. It is a legally binding contract in Jewish tradition. It, it is, it, they're already, in a sense, married. They just had not had the ceremony yet. They had not had the consummation yet. When Jesus sat down at that table with his disciples that night, He poured that cup of wine and said, This is the New Testament in my blood that's shed for you. When those disciples received that cup, the Father had agreed to that price. In fact, the Father set that price. When those disciples drank that cup, they sealed the covenant. And you know what Jesus said? I'm not going to drink it again with you until I drink it with you in Revelation chapter 19. Now, he didn't say those words, but he said, I'm not going to drink it again with you until I drink it with you new in the kingdom.
So what happens after that betrothal? Immediately after that betrothal, the groom gives gifts to his fiance. And, and usually it was things like jewelry, um, perfume, ointments, anything that she could use in preparing herself. And when Jesus left us here, he left us his word and he left us his spirit. He gave us gifts. What are those gifts for? It is for us to prepare ourselves for his return. The, the next thing that happened when the groom left is that she took, the bride took, in Jewish tradition, the bride took a mikvah, which is a cleansing bath. It is very similar to what the word baptism is. And she took that as a ceremonial cleansing. She was now legally betrothed. She had a husband that would come back for her soon. And, um, and so she prepared herself by taking that bath, and immediately after that bath, she wore the veil. And that signified to everybody that she was legally betrothed, that she belonged to a man. What did the groom do? And this is so cool to me. This is a Jewish wedding. He went back to his father's house and prepared a room where he would consummate his marriage with his bride. He could not go back and get his bride until he had finished preparing that room. And, and he could not make up his own mind when that room was ready. His father had to say, the room is ready, go get your bride. We've got a parable in God's word about five foolish virgins and five wide virgins. That they were waiting for that event. And, 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 and the, the, it was, became a tradition in the Jews that the groom would come at unexpected times, often at midnight, which is the parable that we have. And, and the groom comes back for his bride at at, at midnight after the, after the wedding chambers have been prepared and they go back to the father's house. And this is different than the way that we do it now. But they spend seven days in that room that has been prepared consummating the marriage. The church is going to be raptured. I, think, I don't think the rapture is for the Old Testament saints. I think the rapture is for the church. And we're going to spend seven years. While, while there's hell on earth, we're going to spend seven years in the room that Christ has prepared for us. Him knowing us and us knowing, he already knows us, but we're going to get to know him. Um, as intimate, the Bible says, in fact, we know that when he, we don't know what, we, what we're going to be, but we know that when we see him, we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is. That he's going to change us and make us like himself. That, those, that the two will really become one, as he intended from the beginning. And after that seven days of consummation, they, came, they come out of their wedding chambers and they celebrate with all their guests. That's what this marriage feast is. That is when all of heaven gets to join in the celebration of the union of Christ and his church. It is, it is the forever union where we become ruling and reigning with him forever and forever in a new heaven on a new earth. The bride's groom, John the Baptist called himself the friend of the bridegroom, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Um. The bride's beautiful now. 
the bride's beautiful. She is, the church is Jesus' most precious possession. Do you hear me? The church is Jesus' most precious possession. It is what he gave his life for. But only he could make her that way. The Bible, when it's telling us how to love our wives, like Christ loves the church, it says this, that he cherishes her and nourishes her, that he washes her with his word so that he might present her back to himself, a spotless bride without blemish. That's what Jesus has done for us. And so listen, at the end of this, or at the, the climax of this celebration, the church is beautiful. The church is his most precious possession. But at the end of it all, the only one that's worthy of worship is the one who made her so. The angel, or the elder, I, thought, I don't actually think this was an angel. I think this was because he said, I'm, I'm a fellow servant. I, I have... I have the testimony of Jesus too. Jesus has done for me what he's done for you. Don't worship me, worship him. Worship the God who gave him um, to make us who we are. Right now, and I'm done, right now, Jesus is preparing the place. He's preparing the place. So, so what do we do while he's doing that? We prepare ourselves for that place by sanctifying ourselves by purifying ourselves by identifying ourselves to the world as the bride of Christ in submission and in worship so I want to say this to you and I'm, and I'm, and I'm done every person in this room I, I, I just gave you a, tried to give you a glimpse of what's going on in heaven and at the end of the tribulation the climax of history but here's what I want you to understand. Please see this. Everybody in this room this morning is on one side or the other of that celebration. There ain't no fence riders. Everybody who trusts Christ for salvation is going to be on heaven's side, spotless, glorious, with him forever and forever. Why? Because we have humbled ourselves under his lordship, and salvation and as we humble ourselves the Bible says he exalts us before the world that parable that I told you about early in the service Jesus said whoever exalts himself is going to be abased but whoever humbles himself is going to be exalted have you done that? Listen, I, won't, I know that you've heard it more times than you want to hear it, but I won't ever get tired of telling the story of that night that he met me in the most tangible way that I'd ever experienced him before and invited me into a relationship with him 
And I'm here to tell you all I could tell him was I'm, my, I'm, I'm a mess. My life is a wreck. I got habits I can't break. I got baggage I won't ever get rid of. I got a sin debt that I couldn't even begin to tell you how long it is. And he said, get to me. Give it to me. And, and God is my witness. All I said was, Lord, this is who I am. And if you can do anything with me, I'm yours. I'm telling you, I went, from li- I went from death to life. I went from darkness to light. I went from being a child of the devil to a child of the king. Have you done that? I'm telling you, it takes humility. It takes, I ain't got nothing. I ain't got nothing to give. You can. You can. I can tell you that he wants to do for you what he did for me. And he will do for you what he did for me. But the choice is completely yours. He won't take that from you. And if you fail to do that, I want you to understand this. You'll find yourself on the other side of that event that we read about this morning, which is his eternal wrath. He won't be your bridegroom. He won't be your beloved bridegroom. He'll be your just judge. And that choice is yours. That choice, is, that choice is every person in this room. Nobody can make it for you. He not, he's not going to force you into submission to his will. He's not going to force you to come and be a part of his kingdom. He's given you the ability to make that choice on your own. And I would, I would, I would warn you and exhort you that if you have heard his voice in this service, Respond to it in faith. Respond to it now in faith. Because you may not ever have another opportunity to do so. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. Lord, we have... um, read... Preached about the most glorious event and celebration that will ever occur. When 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 time shall be no more and eternity begins. There's no way that we can do justice to it. We couldn't paint a picture. We couldn't play a video. We couldn't use an illustration. There's nothing that we can do that can adequately help us to understand what that day is going to be like. But I pray the one thing that we would take away from us, 
from this whole thing this morning is that we, that we get to choose. where we'll stand on that day you've made us in your image and you've given us the freedom of will you don't want robots you want people who willingly love you and trust you and submit their lives to you and God I pray that if there's one here this morning that has never done that one here this morning that's unsure that doesn't have any security would you speak to them right now God would you do in their heart and in their mind what you did in mind that night 30 years ago just call them Just say, this is your time. And I pray, God, that they would humble themselves. Just later life. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what they've done. I don't care what they're doing. I don't care where they are right now. There's nothing. There is no sin that is greater than your grace. Where sin abounded, grace much more abounds. It did in my life and it will in theirs. I pray they wouldn't worry about whatever habits that they've got right now, whatever uncleanness there may be in their life. You you can fix that. You can change that. You can deliver from that. You can cleanse and forgive that. And I pray that they know that right now, that the enemy will lie. He's a liar and a father of it. Don't let him lie to them. Holy Spirit of God, I just pray that you would arrest their attention and that they'd make the choice today. Surrender their life to you. I want to be in that choir. And I want every person in this room to be in that choir. And so do your work right now. We'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Just stand